Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Hey there, P.I.'s Declassified listeners. It's another uh Another COVID day, another Thursday COVID day here uh, in California and evidently in the rest of the world. And uh, I am getting my second vaccination on Friday. I'm very, that's tomorrow. I'm very, very, very happy about that. Uh, And I can tell you if if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, you know, it is better than death. I like the I don't like the death part, and uh, just highly recommend that you go for it. Had the first vaccination, no side effects, little sore arm was it, and uh, moving forward. Okay, so today I'm just really excited to welcome Stephen Koenig. It's not often that I get to talk to somebody that has a name similar to mine that everybody misses pronounces <laughs> pronounces. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Francie. How are you today? So in your other life, you're Steve Koenig. <laughs> yes, yes, that's my alias, yeah. <laughs> your alias. That's right. right. I know. It's it's kind of funny. And uh, Steve and I were just talking off the, offline that he was here on the show before, and I just, can't, I'm astonished that it was five years ago. Five years. Yeah. That's <laughs> unbelievable. 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 So, 2016, that's just incredible how um, time flies. So, and you know, Steve, I was, I did not remember that you lived in Fort Collins at one time in your life. Yes, yes, I had my, I had my, I had worked, you know, for a firm here in Nebraska, and then I decided, I kind of had a non-compete, so I said, well, I'll just move outside of the state and be beyond my non-compete, and I moved to the Loveland Fort Collins area, and I started my office out there, and and uh, that was back in the nineties, and yeah. I and so yeah, so it was very interesting. It was uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, I lived in Fort Collins in the seventies. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. somehow didn't remember that at all. And now you live in Nebraska. Right, right. Now and, I, uh, I go ahead. What, I was going to, just to ask you, I don't know where Shelton, Nebraska is. Can yeah, you give well, me a... nobody does. Yeah, it's just in <laughs> central Nebraska. It's just in central Nebraska. So it's, uh, I'm a couple hours uh, from Lincoln, which is the state capital. And so I'm okay. just right out here, kind of in the middle. Okay. Is that rural farmland? It is pretty much rural. It's, uh. Um, you know, I'm kind of in a tri-city area here. About three towns, there are about fifty thousand people each, but I'm kind of in the middle between all three of those. And, and uh, um, so it's so there are some people around, but it's very that's long Interstate 80, so it's real handy to get on 80 and get to wherever you got to go. You know, so yeah, it's actually sure. not a, not a bad place. Well. Uh- what st- what struck me recently that that you did is you wrote an article for Pursuit Magazine, and I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty pretty cool the way you put it together. Why don't you just tell us what you were writing about? You know, I, I had I've written some other articles for them before, and I've kind of always this has been kind of in my head, kind of been you know something I've been thinking about writing about, and it just kind of came out you know as they sometimes do just all of a sudden. And but I, it is it was cause because of the COVID issue. A lot of interviewing um, challenges have come up, and so I thought it might be just an opportunity to kind of write a little bit about that. But just kind of write how how things have changed with interviewing over thirty years. You know, um, sure. how we used to do things thirty years ago. Just how life was before cell phones, before internet, and. Um, I think people's mindset has changed on certain things. And uh, so I just kind of, kind of, because everyone, and I had read, I was reading a book um, by Lawrence Block, and they, he, he mentioned this acronym, Goyacod. I mean, he wrote this back in the 80s, and then get off your ass and knock on doors. And, uh, and so it just kind of struck me, and so then I kind of took off and wrote that article. 
Uh, it was. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty um, right on. So traditionally, you've been an insurance investigator, uh, right? For a long time, right? Right. For from uh, for a good portion of my career, I did, of course, a, a lot of surveillance. I've always um, done a certain amount of other work along the way, as we do, you know. And uh, have and you know we're required interviewing people and gathering information, and so I I've uh, um, but but there was just always that, and then there was a certain time when I worked for five years. I worked with a special investigative unit of an insurance company, and I had to do a lot of interviews. That was all. That was no surveillance. That was mostly just interviewing people and and such. But uh, yeah, so I that was a big chunk. But as I got older, I just go, you know. I, I just I really wanted to put that part of my life behind me and move on to the, something a little more, a little different. And 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 I've always enjoyed doing cases that required interviewing people and gathering information. So right now I'm pretty much doing a good uh, most of my work is criminal defense and uh, and along with some other civil litigation. So um, when you were, cases when mostly, you, go ahead. Yeah, when you were doing interviews for the insurance company, was that? Uh, um, Things that like on the job kinds of interviews. That, what, what well, kind it of- was everything. It, yeah, it was just claims. It was interviewing people regarding their claims, and um, and it was and some of them I did some field work for them. So some of it was traveling in the field, and some was just over the phone. But mm-hmm. usually it was just and it was a wide variety. I think as I talked about in our last show, I did this property and casualty company, but they also had this crop insurance subsidiary and that required traveling around the country and talking to people on some of those types of cases. So it was, it was a wide variety of uh, situations. So Steve, um, how it was did very, you, very educational. How did you get in, into investigation? Well, um, you know, for whatever reason, I've always, I, 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 you know, you know, I think I got a Hardy boys book for Christmas <laughs> one year. As as the eyes will tell you, as I read that, and I go, and I really didn't think of it. Then when when it was when I was done reading, I kind of a light kind of went off. I go, oh, <laughs> I see what's going on here. And then so I like I told you the story. I my my grandfather was in the second state trooper class, so he was in law enforcement. But uh, that was on one side of the family, and then on the other side, it was a little bit. Uh, but not really, nobody that I really was in hardcore law enforcement otherwise. But I, uh, I ran across an article in a, my, my grandparents had brought by it's an obscure paper. It was a, an article about J.J. Arms and uh-huh. his new, in a book that he had written back in the 70s. And it was just, it was kind of the noted private investigator exactly out of El Paso and uh, and I got so I thought that was very cool and, and so I was again I was just I was kind of a nerd and for some reason I wrote him a letter and I was like really? 11 years old you know and he ended up writing me two letters back and he was very nice <laughs> to me I, I I'm sure I was just a dork I, I uh, so but um, so I, I and so then I just kind of always had an interest in it. And then when I kind of always didn't really tell anybody, but because I didn't know anybody that was in the business and right. I kind of just did it on my own. And when I went off to college, I did some research and, and I uh, talked to a, a guy who was actually in the business and, and I, uh, and then when I got out of college, you know, I was kind of in, you know, going to kind of agriculture but I end up going to work part time for a, a guy, the same guy, and I'm kind of then I got a job full time with a firm for about three years out of the Lincoln, Omaha area, and then that's when I went off to Colorado and started my own business. Interesting. So, I mean, I'm looking at your degree. It's you majored in management technology and a minor in biology. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly yeah. on the investigation yeah. track. <laughs> Nothing. I did take. I did take a, a really. I did take one or one criminal justice class, and um, found it fascinating. And I just, I just, you know, I did. I, I but I had this. This. I wasn't really interested in law enforcement per se, so I didn't really follow a criminal justice track. Um, mm-hmm. But I just stayed interested in this line of business, and that's what I've you know, pretty much been involved with 
Good for you. The only way I've made a living for 32 years. And you said that you were 11 years old when you wrote that letter to J.J. Arms? Oh, yeah. I was. That's, I was. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great I story. Mean, <laughs> oh, and I, I, he was so nice to me. He, and he sent me, I, I think I sent him another one. And he sent me a, a reply to that one. And um, it was just, a, you know, I was just a kid, you know. And uh, um, so I can't imagine uh, what he thought, but he was very nice to me. Yeah, that, that's a great story. So now you've transitioned into uh, where you really have to, you know, you're really preferable to do interviews face-to-face. And right. now, we're, now we're in a COVID right. situation. So let's talk about that. Right. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, I, I did even starting out I, with the firm, I, the investigative firm I worked for, I kind of note in the, the article about kind of my first major criminal offense case. I did do some work on back then. And, and back then, you know, or back then, you know, in general, we, a lot of, most cases you go and you get off your pass and knock on a door and you go talk to people. And, um, and back then, this is, you know, of course, this is before cell phones and this is before Facebook and this is before, you know, all this, um, uh, how we handled things. And so you just, that's how you did things. And, uh, over time, that is that has certainly changed. But I have certainly, I mean, my best interviews have always been face to face. I mean, I think of those, those are some of the the interviews I've done over a wide variety of cases. I, they just would not have been the same over the phone um, had I not been able to see how they reacted to my questions. And uh, just get a feel for it. Um, but this COVID thing, you know, has really kind of, well, I mean, and the attorneys, I, sh- I should say, the attorneys have been pretty understanding because they go, well, you're kind of in a, they're, they haven't been overly like one way or the other. And they're just like, uh, yeah, you're just going to have to probably do it, whatever you think's best. Well, um, then your attorneys so are probably I, not meeting with people face to face either, right? They don't right. have people well, exactly. coming into the office. Exactly. I mean, they're having court hearings. Remotely, um, yeah. And remotely and stuff like that. So, I mean, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think of a couple cases in the last months I've worked. I mean, one was a, uh, you know, a second-degree murder case, and I had about eight witnesses to interview, and I ended up doing them all over the phone. And I'm back, I never would have thought a case like that, you know, but... And end up working out okay, but there are various levels of cases where maybe you can kind of kind of do that, and then there are just some where you just have no choice. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, it's best; it's way best. This has got to be a situation where face to face. I did have another. I had a, another case, and I talked to the attorney, and he goes, "Well, what do you think?" I go, "Well, I think out of these eight people I need to interview, I go, I think seven of them over the phone, but this one I've got to interview face-to-face. But, um, so, I call, so I did the other people over the phone. I called this one up, and she goes, well, I've just been uh, tested positive for COVID. Right. So I end, <laughs> I end up doing it over the phone anyway. And then my, my thing is, is you, you, you don't know, even if I don't, I mean, I, we, me and my wife, we end up testing positive a few months ago, so we end up having it. But uh, even if I feel okay going, I don't know if people are, you know, you're standing at their door with a mask. You don't know if they're okay right. Right. with you being there. Exactly. And I also, in, on, on a lot of criminal, not a lot, but on a fair amount of criminal defense cases, I, I go, don't tell people I'm necessarily coming because I like to kind of catch them a little flat-footed and, and just kind of right. see how their reaction is going to be to me before they kind of have a time to think about what they're going to say and, and uh, and so it's just been a, it has been a, I'm sure, as you know, the challenges that have, that have come, that have come, but also, I also kind of, in my article, I kind of relate, but things have also changed, and uh, talking to people on their cell phone, they may feel more comfortable talking to you on mm-hmm. their cell phone, and may talk to you, in some cases, actually longer than if you were standing at their door. Because you know, people yeah, and you know what's an interesting thing that I've discovered recently is uh, if I call somebody, 
people don't answer the phones anymore because there's so many marketing calls. I mean, I, I, I'm right. the same way. If I don't recognize the number, I don't answer the call. And I want to see what the voicemail says. So exactly. uh, I found that if I leave a message and then I send them a text explaining who I am and what I'm doing, they respond to the text. Right. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I kind of held off having a Facebook page. I, it's kind of an old fuddy-duddy. But as <laughs> I got to doing more, more, more of this criminal defense work, I go, sometimes that was the only way I could reach out to certain people was via mm-hmm. their Facebook page. So I had to put up a Facebook page because, and then I've had several cases where I didn't have a good phone number. The people are, I don't know, quasi-homeless or they're living wherever. And I sent them a message via via um, Facebook, and then they call me back. And that's happened many times. And I I even used the example in the uh, my article how recently had a similar one. And people who I did not have a good phone number for. I had a possible address. They lived an hour away, which is not bad, but again, we got the COVID issue. I'm like, so I found the lady's Facebook page and sent her a message, and we ended up just Facebooking, messaging back and forth. And I had to set her up to talk to an expert to look at her car, and we did all that. The expert went to go, called me, said, yeah, we got it set up for me to look at it. I just have to wait two weeks because she was tested positive for COVID. So... (laughs) So it's it's uh, it's just a new day, and this, it is is just, a new this day. Is just kind of sped things up a little bit. So, uh, Steve, have you tried uh, Zoom interviews yet? Yes, I, I've done. I've done done some, and uh, um, yeah, I think I think that's where we're going. I mean, I mean, in part, there is some efficiencies to it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I live in the middle of a state and, uh, you know, I've got a, and two, you know, you know, I got a murder case going on one end border and another major case on the other. And right. so sometimes that's just, uh, you know, it's very more efficient and probably for clients, it's certainly I'm spending a lot of, I spent a lot of less time on the road this year. That's for sure. You know, less time on the road, and I think that uh, certainly it's a cost-saving measure. That I think Absolutely. we're gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a a permanent thing because everybody's I, finding I out it's less expensive. Ab- absolutely, and uh, and I think it's just going to be, and it's been drifting that way anyway. Like I said, people are very, much more comfortable just talking on their cell phone. If they'll answer, if you can get them to talk to you, of course, they don't always have to call you back. But mm-hmm. then maybe some guy with a mask knocking at their door, you know. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, and uh, I just, and so it's just kind of amazing. And I, it's just going to, knowing how to find that balance there of when to, you know, which one to do, you know. I did a, yeah. you know, I did a neighborhood canvas on a murder case here last month. You know, of course, uh, Magnum PI never had to go do a neighborhood canvas after an ice storm. You know, when you're right. slipping around and night <laughs> falling falling on your butt on people's doorsteps and praying they don't have a Zoom camera there or anything. <laughs> but uh, um, and so I did do that, and I. Uh, and I did talk to some people, and then some people call me back, left a card for. But it's 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 challenging to kind of find that right balance. So, Steve, tell people because not everybody knows what we do. So, because some of our listeners aren't PIs, tell people right. what a neighborhood canvas does. Well, a neighborhood canvas say uh, say you have like a, a murder case, and we had one that happened at an intersection and. In, a town, medium-sized town that I'm there. So really what you're doing is, of course, you look. if you look at the police reports, they, they often do a neighborhood canvas, too, in a case like that. And so sometimes you'll have people that they've talked to, and you look through the, and through the discovery, okay, they did talk to this person, and you might kind of note some certain things. So you, and, and certainly they're just kind of repeating what they do. 
and certain places they didn't reach anybody and they don't go back. And so you go back to those places and maybe time and time again, mm-hmm. because you just never know. You just never know who's going to know something. And right. um, this last one, this last one, I did learn something that nobody knew. And so you, and so it's just, you just, you just don't know. So you're just going back um, and making sure that what was told was told. And if they miss something um, and they, and they do, they do miss something, and they have so much time in the day too. And and uh, I think a lot of times I've had case after case, you know, just like you, where they kind of assume, well, if somebody knows something, they're going to call us, or mm-hmm. something. Well, people people don't. But That's right. when you go talk to them, and when you go talk to them, um, you know, maybe and you that's know, when you learn something. And sometimes people don't realize that inf- one little piece of information is significant, and they. And they don't know that it is. Like, oh, what was the, what was the significance? What was the significance of the person that you found out they knew something that nobody knew else knew? Um, let's see. What can I say? It's still an active case. It's, yeah, uh, without they were actually they were actually related to the victim. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. all I can say. Yeah, that's okay. So <laughs> it's nothing there you huge, go. but it's just, it's just, it's sort of it's sort of like. And that led to something else, but it's sort of like, okay, that's kind of key, you know. It's sort of like you would have liked to have talked to them. Um, right. But you just don't know until you go do it, as you as you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's cases have pieces, little pieces sometimes that when you put them together, if you look, you know, in. That's why it's important to have the same investigator doing interviews because there may be some little, what seemingly insignificant piece that when you hear it again in another context turns out to be very significant. Oh, that's absolutely right. Time and time again, you'll pick up on something. Um, You'll pick up, because you're doing it, you'll pick stuff up that your attorney doesn't pick up. Right. Even though maybe they've kind of done their pretty good job um you you you'll you'll pick up things you go hey did you see this and because i saw this because i did this and this and this and they didn't know they hadn't put all the pieces together because maybe you're working on other things and you're absolutely right and uh and so to have all that one person kind of heading that up it's just it's just it's uh it makes more sense than you, you, you do here. You are able to put those pieces together. Mm-hmm. Well, attorneys are, are looking at the legal aspects of building their case, and sometimes we are following innuendos. We're, we're looking Absolutely. for the facts, but we're also paying attention to those subtle um, little things that, well, like you say, you right. wouldn't pick up unless you were in person. <laughs> frankly, right, and they have to worry about all these details of all these filings and things and stuff and all this other minutia stuff. And where we just have to worry about gathering these facts, we don't have to worry about these other things. And that's why it's you know the team aspect is just very important on those major cases. And uh, and that uh, just as you said, to have the same person kind of involved who knows the kind of the beginning to the end. And so sometimes I, sometimes you get asked by an attorney maybe to go do one little key part piece of a case. You know, well, just go do this. But you kind of want to know how it all fits together. Right. Because exactly. you can't really do, you can't really do a sufficient job unless you kind of, uh, and I, I kind of know exactly. Like, well, we just wanted him to know this. Well, I kind of need to know a little bit more. I need to know mm-hmm. how it all ties together. Well, you and I both have gotten situations where they'll send you, uh, the attorney will send you maybe the one person's statement out of the police report, and that's it. And so you don't know the rest of the case, and you can't operate that way. Right, right. You you have to, you have to, and they want one little piece. It's like, no, I mean, I don't don't need that, but I need more than that. I I, I need need to to be able to, to piece this together. Yeah, so I'm looking at, uh, how do you pronounce this, Goyakad? Goyakad, get off your ass and knock on doors, yeah. Right, but you know what, the Goyakad, even though it says knock on doors, that 
that really applies to anything to do with a case. I mean, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, like procrastinate making a call because maybe you're uncomfortable making that call. Maybe you don't think they're going to talk to you. Uh, that right. Goya cod is really is kind of a kick in the butt or yeah. kick in the ass, so um, to speak. Absolutely. And, uh, and sometimes that's just, and you have to do that to yourself and just say, okay, I've got a, a and you have, you have those, and it's, a, and it's, and then you just have to talk to the attorney and just explain to them and say, okay, here's where I'm at. And what is your thoughts on this? Cause you're the one who's going to live or die. I mean, I had to talk with an attorney yesterday and we had been debating about whether to try to talk to this person. Not, it's a civil case. Mm-hmm. And I said, here, here's the, here's the problem. I go, I've been hesitant to talk to this person because I'm afraid. And we've been able to do this pretty much with me. We're not doing anything, whatever, but on the quiet so mm-hmm. far. And, uh, even though I've talked to a certain amount of people and he goes, you know, that's just your prior right. It's just once you do that, there's a risk that they're going to call a right. guy. Right. And, uh, so let's, let's hold off on that now. And, uh, but then there's times it's just like, but you think of those interviews where you, whatever, but you went and did it anyway and you go, Oh my God, thank God I talked to them. Right. Right. And <laughs> too, so it's, it's just a fine balance. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, Steve, but I want to come back to this because I think that, uh, uh, t- disclosing that to the attorney is an important thing to do because sometimes they may have other ideas they've been thinking about as well. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm talking with Steve Koenig, uh, private investigator from Nebraska, from Shelton, Nebraska. And we're just talking about uh, various ways to interview people in sometimes, you know, with the COVID quarantine and uh, other things like working with attorneys and et cetera. And, and I, w- I was just going to say, Steve, that I think it's really important when you're feeling, because that's kind of a stuck, we're talking about a stuck position where we're not comfortable with making a call or reaching out and knocking on that door. Right. And sometimes that happens. You, you Maybe you're pretty sure this is going to be a hostile witness or they're right. going to react negatively or 
you're going to uncover some things that are uncomfortable. And some, and it's good to say that to the attorney because it kind of gets it out in the open and you can deal with it and talk about it. And sometimes it gets you off that un, that stuck position. Right. You, you certainly, you know, you work for them and you don't want to do something um, that you feel, okay, you go, man, I, I knew this going in. This felt bad. But you also, too, you want to, you want them to be aware of ego. And so we want them to have, make that call sometimes. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times we, we just have to go off our own gut and we just go and we do and just like we always do. But then you just get to those points. And I think getting stuck is a great term because sometimes you do, you just go, okay, here's our situation. And, uh, and uh, you just want to make sure you talk it over. And, you know, I think sometimes people forget that this is a team thing, you know, mm-hmm. that's the way I look at it. And it, you just aren't trying to, this isn't your case. It's their case. And you're just, working as a team, and uh, I think that's a good way to approach it. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like writer's block, you know, <laughs> but you go to right. start writing a, writing a report, and you're just like, it just, you just can't get started. Right. It's, kind of, it's oh, the same kind I, of thing. <laughs> I, I know, I know exactly, you know, we've all had that with our report, and then you're like, okay, you, whatever, and then, but once you do, you get through that, and you... Because a lot of times you don't even know a case until you write it, mm-hmm. and you don't realize the sh- the, the short where you where you're missing something until you right. put it down on paper. At least I I don't. When I put it down on paper, I go, oh, we got we got some gaps here. We we got to firm this up, and um, and so um, that's 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 why in report writing is you think you have all this information and you can tell them stuff, but until you write it down. Sometimes you don't realize all that you have or all that you don't have. Exactly, and it, I mean it's it's kind of it's really kind of the same because once you start writing, it flows. It's the same thing with yep. conducting an investigation. Once you take that step out the door, get in your car, or pick up the phone, you're off and running. But you have to get right. to that point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a lot of things. Just the start is the hardest part, and. Uh, but once you get into the flow and you get going and you go, you know, you know what you need to do and you, and you just, uh, you get after it. Steve, I want to talk about, I mean, you're in a small community and uh, I grew up in a small community and, you know, we both talked about Fort Collins, which is a fairly small community. Mm-hmm. What is it like doing investigations when, uh, when you know a lot of the people there? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, those are things that 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 it, it's good and it's bad, and in that uh, um, you do know people. That's but sometimes it's just um, um, I have you know I, a lot of the work I do is for a public defender who's in a, we're in a meatpacking town, and so that brings in other cultures and other things like that. So it is kind of like almost a separate world, a little bit there. But I've had cases, you know, where you end up sitting in the same church pew with somebody you were just checking out, and you mm-hmm. go, "Oh my God, this is this is way too close to home." And mm-hmm. uh, so it is a challenge in these smaller things. But there's also some benefit in that you kind of might know somebody who knows somebody, and um, so they, yeah, it is it is a challenge in a in a in a, in a uh, smaller community. Yeah, I I would think so. I, I've often thought uh, if I were to be have an investigation agency in my hometown, which is uh, probably that area is probably similar to your community. There's three little towns, and maybe it's about a total of fifty thousand people. Um, I can't. Ima- I really can't imagine doing it because you know there's uh, people in those areas have a lot of privacy issues. Right. And so it's, right. it's hard to hard to get into talking with some things that we have to talk about, it, particularly in criminal defense. Right. Oh, absolutely, and and everybody kind of you know, in a bigger town, you might have a, a murder case even or something like that. Well, people are kind of disconnected in the smaller area. People are much more kind of aware of this is a hot thing going on now, you know, and. Uh, um, and they have loyalties, so, too. And they have loyalties. Either, either side, yeah. 
Exactly. And you run into them and go, okay, I ran across you on this previous deal or something else, you know, mm-hmm. because you've worked on other things too, and they end up knowing somebody you know or something like that. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's one of the challenges. So have you... Can you think of an instance where that's been that's worked to your detriment? Well, like I said, um, yes. Yeah, sometimes I live in a little small town that's in between these three bigger towns, and rarely do I have something that involves this smaller town. As a matter of fact, I don't even want anything that involves this, this smaller mm-hmm. town because it's just, mm-hmm. it is it, it is it is too close. Um, I'm trying to think of something specifically, but, um, you know, everybody, do everybody defense, knows you're a private investigator, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and when you do criminal defense work, not everybody's thinking that's a great thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're working for the, the, you're the other side, you know, yeah, and you're working <laughs> right, right, and we and we've all worked for some pretty dark people um, over the years, and I have too. And not just beyond, you know, in other parts of of Nebraska and, and stuff like that, because I kind of work Lincoln or Omaha or wherever else. But uh, and not everybody, not all your friends, or not everybody would probably say, "Hey, it's great." And I worked on one a couple years ago that was really noteworthy, and uh, sure, nobody was uh, claiming to be my friend because I was working on that case. Well, you know, we both, you and I both uh, have a criminal defense, uh, certified criminal defense investigator designation. Um, mm-hmm. And we learned through that that what we're really doing, uh, thanks to Brandon Perrin and his program, mm-hmm. that we're what we're really doing is defending the Sixth Amendment. And I think we have to just always keep that in mind when you're a criminal defense investigator is you're really doing what is allowed or what is required by the Constitution. Absolutely. And and I in no way, and I, you know, I'm pretty frank a lot of times when I, when I talk to people, I think Brandon, and Berlin, I think Perlin, I think he teaches this the same way. It's like, listen, we're not here to help somebody get off of something that they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just, we just want to know what, that it's, what happened happened the way it, it is alleged to have happened. Right. And uh, and we're just here to make sure all the facts are right, and uh, um, we're not we're not making an excuse. But that we've all worked on cases where I worked on a case here not long ago, and and uh, and and the uh, it was a it was a girlfriend boyfriend thing, and supposedly he they got in a domestic dispute, and supposedly he strangled her, or whatever, which you know makes it all the more. Mm-hmm. important and, and I talking to her and I had her read the report and she goes I told that police officer three times he did not strangle me mm-hmm. but it's in the report I go he did, not. he did not do that I told him that three times she told me three times he had that she had told him three times and they ended up throwing the case out but uh, you know so you have to go check things out and uh I think the police, on average, do a wonderful job. They do. They they don't want to. They don't want to. Whatever. But once in a while, things in the heat of battle get swayed one thing way or another. And uh, yeah, and, and just there's make you sure. know, there's misunderstandings. Uh, although exactly what you're saying, we just recently we had a recorded uh, a video interview of a uh, in Spanish with a witness mm-hmm. who who. Uh, observed a shooting and the police officer and the way the police officer was interviewing her he he said um, so was it a car or SUV and she said it was a car and then he continues in every other question asking her about the SUV which which there was an SUV involved she evidently didn't see the SUV and she kept saying no it was a car Right. So, right. Uh, I thought, right. I, and I read that. I thought that was fascinating because we had to transcribe the Spanish and then and translate it into English. And I thought that was fascinating because clearly uh, that officer wanted her to identify an SUV. 
Right, right. And uh, and so you know we've all had those cases, and you and you go and you know, and it's just it's a blip. Here you got some somebody got off, and you just move on to the next one, and it's it's whatever. You're glad you you could help, but it's just part of why we're here. You know, let's just get the story straight. If if they're guilty, they're guilty, but let's get the story straight. Steve, are you? I I don't know about you, but I'm always surprised. Are you surprised when you find these kind of discrepancies? Because I'm still surprised. I, I still am too. I still you know? am too, and it's just it's just it's amazing. It's just it's. I suppose that's why we're still doing it because we find that interesting. Yeah, exactly, and yeah, and it's often not big things like this one I just described. It's not a big thing. Right. But, right. you know, it, it makes you pause and say, well, why can't it just be reported accurately? Right. I don't right. understand that part. Right. And uh, I, I agree totally. I agree totally. But it's, it's, it does, it makes you, okay. And even though, and it makes you, um, you go, okay, I got to have my stuff together here too. I mean, I've got to be paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, because for sure. you don't want to miss these little things like you talk about. You don't want to miss these little things that what's, could be very important. What's been your favorite case? Oh, I you know I I, I do talk about a couple of them in that article. That one I worked thirty years ago, the the girl that came out missing it was one of the first criminal defense cases I ever worked on. It was still was kind of very noteworthy at the time, and then um, I tell you what, I uh, worked on a case that maybe one day I'll write about, and I'll tell you what I can tell you, but it was a guy I used to do some, because I cattle thefts, and a farmer complaining he had accepted some cattle, and he thought his brother had stolen his cattle. Well, his brother was a, had moved back from Arkansas and was a kind of a noted white supremacist marijuana farmer. Okay. And that seems, and, that seems to be a contradiction, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, after these, whatever, he disappeared. And uh, so, and they just thought he ran off. Well, to make this long story short, I ended up interviewing his wife, and him and his wife had had a fight, and he and she left, and she moved out of the house, and then, and then he ends up missing. So I interviewed the wife. These people were very much off-the-grid type of people, mm-hmm. and uh, would not let people on their property and stuff, and so... I interviewed her. She walked half a mile out to the gate, the locked gate, to get into my vehicle. To talk. That's the way she talked to me. Hmm. And uh, she, uh, so I'm interviewing her, and he was, it was, you know, they'd been married a long time, and he was kind of rough with her, and I'm like, explaining, you know, listen, something happened, people are going to understand. He was not nice to you. And she goes, uh, at one point, she goes, she got real quiet. And I, I learned early on in my training that if you, if you, not to talk too much, you know. Be careful about that. And you, you just kind of sometimes, you ask a question and then you just shut up mm-hmm. until they answer. You, even if, even if uh, there's a big gap in time. Mm-hmm. You just keep your mouth shut, and she just she just got real quiet, and she goes, "Before he died, I forgave him." <laughs> and I just, I was just like, I didn't say anything. And, and, and you then, said what? And then, finally, <laughs> <laughs> and then she finally said, "But I don't know where he's at." <laughs> so. Two years later, or a year later, a skull was found. Mm-hmm. And uh, On a that year property. after that, they finally had, after the, uh, um, a few miles away. Okay. And they later determined it was our guy. And uh, 
but by then she was long gone and there was never any charges. There's a lot more to that case. Um, but it was, uh, it was very interesting. Um, it's probably one of the few cases I've slept with a gun by my bed because wow. of the people that were involved. And I knew I was quite a ways away from where they were, so it wasn't like it was in my neighborhood. But I was still kind of worried. But it was a very interesting case. And um, um, there's a lot more. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you just brought up something uh, that I think is significant when you work in uh, communities where you're known. If you uncover something that exposes another person, you your life could be at risk. Exactly what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Um, particularly yeah. when it's close to home. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I just, I, I don't mind working some of these cases, these other little but I just, yeah, you don't want it too close. I just, I don't even want to, I don't want something that's too close to where people know everybody, you know, that I know. And, uh, yeah. Um, See, that's something in urban areas that we don't think about because our office addresses are, are separate from our home or there's a P.O. box. Right. But when, but when you're known, uh, there's no protection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Doesn't matter that, if you have a little box. <laughs> no, no, they all know who you are and what you drive and interesting and where you live. So, so Steve, what advice do you have for budding criminal defense investigators? Even if you've been in the business a long time, because we're getting close to the end of our time here. Okay. So, what what would you advise people to do if they want to get into the criminal defense arena? Um, I think, I think you know, that training, I think some training, like with uh, the uh, Crown Defense and the Investigation Training Council is very good. I think mm-hmm. you, you, if you have, I mean, you should have some, some experience in dealing with people and some experience writing. And just because you're going to have to deal with people and you're going to have to write about it. So if, even if you come from a background, let's say that's not necessarily criminal justice, but uh, you come to where you, you've been dealing with people and you've been writing things up and are doing things like that, journalism or, or whatever, um, I think that's, that's good, a good background for this, this type of work. But you just need to know that uh, I, think it's, I think another thing is I, somebody else asked me this recently, and I think you, you kind of need to talk to people that are in the business to get a clear idea of what is required. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing interviews. We're, we're out on weekends and nights doing interviews. We're, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not just the perfect nine to five. And you're dealing with very often very dysfunctional people in dysfunctional settings. And that just may not be your thing. <laughs> you know, you may right. not be comfortable at all with that. Or, or going to, I did a, prison murder here a couple of years ago after a riot, you know, you, are you comfortable going to prisons and interviewing, you know, mm-hmm. murderers and whatever, you know, so you just need to know what is going to really be, be required of your job, just like with any investigative job, whether it's surveillance or whatever, you, know, you just need to understand what the life is like. So that's what I would just recommend. Talk to other people. Um, prepared to get some training and just understand that you know you're going to have to you're going to have to be able to have good people sk- communication skills and uh, and that's going to be not everybody wants to write reports huh, all the do time. You, not um, every, do you think it's important? To talk to dysfunctional people. Do you think, yeah. Do you think it's important, Steve, to have a mentor of some kind? I think that it's like I said. I think you have to talk to some people, even if it's just to talk to them. I think that is great if you can if you can find if you can find the right one. You know, I think it's also important to find the right one that's a right fit for you, and who uh, um, has a good reputation for that type of work, whatever the type of work it is that you're going to do in the investigative field. You know, I'm talk to people and say that well, this guy's got a good reputation in this. And not everybody's looking for people to to mentor, let alone if they have the time to do it. But I think most PIs, I think, will give you some time and say, listen, you know, I'll tell you what it's about. I can't give you a job, but I can tell you what it's about and where to go from there. I think there are certain jobs, too, that lend themselves. I think, like, say, start out, you start out serving papers. 
Mm-hmm. You know, serving papers requires you to talk to people, requires you to locate people, requires you to, you know, do sometimes an affidavit. You know, it requires some things, and that's just a great start and get you working with attorneys or whatever. So I think that's just kind of a a, a way in, you know, to kind of get, get a feel for what is required um, until you move on to the, you know, the next level. At least somebody that you can reach out and ask questions to. Because there's, you know, there's Absolutely. a lot of things that come up that that you don't even think to to ask until you run into it. Right. Or somebody doesn't think to tell you until it comes up. Exactly. Exactly. It is great to have those sources. I have guys now, they're in their 70s. Three guys in their 70s are investigators. Some are still doing so, And I call them, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. and throw stuff by them, you know, and I think that's, and we, we are totally different. We're all very different on what we do and how we do it, but they all have a take, you know, and they've all seen it all. And so I think that's, I think that's um, very important. That's the advantage to belonging to associations is having those right. connections. Absolutely. Yeah, networking. And it gives you, you have some idea, okay, I, I'm kind of on the right track here. You know, and somebody will tell you, okay, you're, you're, you're on the right, you know, it's just some confidence to know, okay, I'm on the right track of what I'm doing here and how I'm doing it. And it mm-hmm. just kind of gives you, especially when you don't have that experience to know, okay, yeah, um, I'm handling this this way. What do you think? No, you need to do this, but I would maybe think about this, you know. Right. Um, and it just gives you a little more confidence. Exactly right. Well, this has been a really good conversation, Steve. I really enjoyed talking to you since, since yep, it's been, I, oh my gosh, five years. I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you're venturing off into the, to the criminal defense arena. I think uh, it's a good, seems like it, it's a really good fit for you. And uh, yeah. I, I like the Goya cod, if I'm pronouncing <laughs> it right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> All right. But thanks for well, being on the show. You, you've um, done enough of that. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. And, and thank you for the show that you do. And thank you for, I enjoy all your shows. I enjoyed your recent show with the uh, mitigation specialist, Victoria Rusk. And yes. uh, I'd like to do a little bit more of that type of work myself. Yeah, that's uh, inter- interesting work. And you really get involved in the to the family issues when you do that. Right. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks well, so luck. much. Well, and good. Yeah, thank you. And uh, for the rest of you, it's thank you. And everybody else, stay safe. It's PIs Declassified. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 